If you've got your uh, Bibles with you, you can, we're going to be um, jumping and springboarding off a verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 12, verse 1. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open there. Um, we're, we're really at the very uh, start of this journey together in looking at uh, hunger. This really did come out of a word from the Lord. If you didn't uh, hear Sarah's talk from last week, encourage you to podcast it. It will give some context and some frame and some parameters around what we feel like God is asking us to journey in in this season and to take hold of and really go after. And it is really this whole uh, desire for us as a community to, uh, to grow in hunger. A hunger for God, a hunger uh, for his heart, and a hunger for his kingdom. You know, we're uh, often, when we think about hunger, it's obviously, it can be quite an individualistic process. If I'm hungry, it's to do with me. But this is not really hunger for the things uh, that uh, are our desire or our needs, but it's really how do we stoke that fire of hunger as we point that towards our pursuit of God his heart and his kingdom. And I want to look at that context um, today of pursuit, that actually that um, we would realize that, that, that growing and developing in, uh, in our desire to hunger God would, would actively um, change and influence the way that we live our life, our pursuit of those things. You know, we're not simply just in looking at a concept or an ideology of, of hunger, that conceptually we might think that we have a greater hunger tomorrow than we do today. This is not a hunger. This is something that influences the way that we live our lives. And I want to look at that today really around a very, um, a very important subject, um, which is in the context of developing our hunger, in the concept of understanding what it is we're going after and what it is that we're pursuing, ultimately understanding that... Um, that uh, on that journey, there are things that will get in the way. And I want to look at idolatry. It's a huge, heavy subject. There's a lot throughout the whole of Scripture where uh, God speaks to both the nation of Israel about idolatry, but then moving into the New Testament, this reality of how do we get rid of those things that would distract us from our pursuit of God, that would hinder us from our pursuit of God. Um, and I want to build what we're going to um, share and what we're going to look at today really around the, that simple verse um, in Hebrews 12. But before we do that, let's watch uh, a little video, just because you haven't had enough videos today. All right, I think we get the idea. Uh, yeah, it, it's both, uh, both mildly uh, funny and terrifying, right? <laughs> Uh, all at the same time, humor and terrifying, all at the same time. Listen, I've got an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old. For those of you who've got young kids, it, it doesn't really change in terms of this uh, journey. But what the thing that really jumped out to me as I saw that funny slash terrifying clip is, is that um, hunger really is a, an expression of desire. And, and whether we are tiny babies or we're full-grown adults, there is, we, are, we are acutely aware of the desires that we have inside of us, Right? And when something comes in the way or something uh, removes us from that desire, then ultimately uh, we can find ourselves responding in certain ways. But hunger is definitely an expression of desire, what we desire and what we need. And ultimately what we desire and what we need, it really does, if we're honest with ourselves, it affects our behavior. It affects the way uh, that we live our lives. It affects the way we respond. If you think about it practically, if you haven't eaten anything for a little while, Obviously, hunger begins, you know, physically, hunger begins to take over. And, but hunger is an expression of your desire to, to, to need to eat. 
but it influences your actions. If you have a hunger, practically, physically, and, and you connect with your desire to eat, you do one of two things. You go to the fridge and cook a meal, or you go to McDonald's and nail McFlurries. Like, either one. But there's desire that we have, and it stems from our hunger. And in sharing um, today, I, I do want to talk in the context of us pursuing and desiring and, and cultivating godly hunger, recognizing there is a place of deep desire that is within us that is to be fulfilled and to be fueled by our relationship with God. But that ultimately, there are things which will distract us, counterfeit things that will distract us, the McFlurry, as it were, of life, of our spiritual life, that are there to, as a counterfeit reality that we think that in a moment it fixes those desires internally, it fixes uh, that sense of hunger that we truly have, but ultimately, like with that McFlurry, we leave, we leave very quickly disappointed. Amen? McFlurries disappoint. They feel great in the moment, then you feel disappointed. Hebrews 12, verse 1. I feel like there was a little bit of confession coming over there. I feel like, I feel like a weight is lifted. Anyway, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It's a familiar verse, but ultimately what, what Paul's pointing us to is that there is a race that's marked out for us, that what lies ahead is a, a pursuit of God, a pursuit of him, a pursuit of his heart, a pursuit of his kingdom, a pursuit of the assignment that's on my life. There is a pursuit of something that lies ahead, a race for us to run. And Paul makes us really aware of two important things to consider in the context of that race. The sin that so easily entangles us, but the thing that I want to focus on today is this. The everything that hinders. Those were the two things that Paul said, listen, in this pursuit of your assignment, in this pursuit of God, in this pursuit of what lies ahead, that ultimately is a reflection of the desire that you have internally, what lies ahead, throw off, get rid of those things that will entangle you, sin that will entangle you, and everything that would hinder you. Everything that would hinder you. So pursuit, in my mind, starts with the acknowledgement that there are, there are things, maybe even everythings, that I need to throw off me in this pursuit, in this radical pursuit of my hunger for God. And I think in that, it's recognizing that there is the opportunity to chase after the wrong thing, that, that we in life have options. Like we have options to pursue other things, that this desire that, that resides in each one of us, which is a desire to know God and to be known by Him, there are other options out there for us. That makes sense, right? I feel like, you know, if we were thinking about this race, if I'm plowing ahead, the goal line is ahead of me. You know, the reality is, is that I can turn away from that goal. I can turn away from, from that direction. And I can head in any number of other directions. But ultimately, that choice, that decision takes me away from the goal. It takes me away from what the Bible talks about in, in, other, in other parts where Paul talks about uh, reaching out for the prize. So in this conversation around hunger, there has to be the question, am I, uh, am I really hungry? What am I really hungry for? What am I really pursuing? What is my goal? 
What is it that, that is desire? What is, what is the desire? What is the fuel that is causing me to stay on track, to stay focused, and to see the course? What is it that is deep within me? And where is that, where is that desire placed? Am I somebody who is in that pursuit of what lies ahead? Am I, am I considerate of the things that are pulling me in a different direction? Am I considerate of the things that will take me off track, that will distract me, that will pull me away? And where do those things start and where did I become so distracted? I think the thing that I'm acutely aware of in my, if I, in my own life is that, is that deep down I, I want to pursue God. I, I know the direction that he's asking me to, to race. But so often I'm pulled in different directions. And listen, they're, they're not necessarily ungodly directions. They're just not fueled by that desire for God. They're just fueled by other things. They, I have options. You have options. And in the midst of choice, we have to consider, what am I throwing off? What am I discarding? What am I getting away, uh, getting off me that will hinder me? so that I can pursue wholeheartedly and with deep desire the things of God. You know, my uh, pursuit of him, my hunger for him, has to be fueled by my desire for him. And that has to, has to impact my behavior, has to be, impact my choices, it has to impact what I give my time, my energy and resource to. It ultimately has to impact what I pursue with my life. Because there are options. But uh, as we will discover today that so much of that, that choice gives us the options as to whether we, whether we choose the real deal or whether we choose the fake. Whether we choose the real deal of, of being fueled by a, a deep desire to know and be known by God or whether we choose something that is inferior and counterfeit to that thing. You know, and dealing with the presence of the counterfeit God or gods in my life really is an issue of dealing with the idols in my life, the, those places of desire in my life. And, and I feel like this morning we get this beautiful opportunity as a church family to do business with God. You know, most of us in this room are not heading in the opposite direction of God. But there are things that, that, are, that have taken root in our lives, desires in our lives that just are hindering us in our wholehearted, dedicated pursuit of God. And we get to be radical with those things. So asking the question to ourselves and, and maybe uh, inviting Holy Spirit to partner with us this morning on this journey, asking the question, are we hungry for the real deal or are we settled for something less? Because let me, let me remind you that, that counterfeit is always way less. It has way less value than the real thing, right? That's why I was, I was reading recently that, that the, only, the thing that they do um, with any counterfeit merchandise that they see is they burn it because it's, it's worthless, and the reality for us in, in looking internally and allowing Holy Spirit to to pursue our, our own desires and to, to shine a light on our own desires is we get to look at like what inside of me have I set up that's counterfeit where I've settled for something way less valuable than what is really given to me. This is what counterfeit does. It gives you something way less. In the moment you think it is of real quality but actually it's counterfeit. It leaves you disappointed. 
And these things, as we, as, we, as we allow Holy Spirit this morning to even challenge us and change us, is that actually that we allow him to, to highlight those things that we need to get rid of, that, that are hindrances, that we need to cast off. Because ultimately, it's not about necessarily running in the wrong direction, but it's recognizing in our pursuit of God. Is there anywhere where we are distracted, where we're pulled away, where we're taken off course? Because the destination is still the same. It is away from him. And anything that pulls me away from him is something that I want to deal with. I love what um, John Piper says. And he's written an amazing book. And, and, and while we're in this series, I'd encourage you to, to buy it. It's called A Hunger for God. He says this, If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you've nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. I think that paints a brilliant picture for us, that there is a, there is a great, and it is him, it is a person of Jesus that we are to desire and to long for and to go after. But so often the, the choices that we get, the options that we take is to snack on something far, far less great, far less valuable, and something that far less sustains us than the presence and purpose of God in our lives. In other words, the, the desires of God can be hindered through us giving ourselves and giving our desire to other things. And like I said, it's not simply about saying that the desire is to run this race and pursue God and any one of us is just heading in the opposite direction. But there are things which pull us off course. I love what uh, Jesus said. He, Jesus said he was addressing a situation over where, over finance. And he was addressing an issue um, over where people were storing up treasure. And he says this in, in Matthew 6. He says, for wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now he was talking specifically about a finance and he was saying, look, invest in things eternal. Invest in, 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 he in your heavenly account, which won't be eaten up by moss and won't disintegrate and disappear. There's something of higher value and, and a greater, uh, of greater value to, to pursue. But that verse, forever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The converse is also true. The converse statement rings true, that ultimately what, what your heart pursues, where your heart, heart's desire rests, is actually what your treasure is. It's what is your highest value. And interestingly, when we start to begin to think of our own lives and the, and the places by which we attribute desire, we start to begin to realize, well, where have I, where have I put my heart? You know, what are the things that are even good around my life where actually I have placed a desire, filled a, a space which was entirely dedicated to the desire of God? Where have I substituted that for something else? Where have I placed my heart? Where is my treasure? You know, what you set your heart on, there you will discover what you're hungry for. And ultimately, you'll discover what you're pursuing your life towards, what your pursuit is. Let me say that again. What you set your heart on, that's where you're going to discover what you're hungry for, and ultimately, what you've set your life towards pursuing. 
And so the, the, question, the question has to be asked of each one of us. What, what are we pursuing? What are those things of great deep desire that we anchor our lives to and anchor our focus to in such a way that we pursue it with the way that we do life, with the way we make decisions, the way we spend time, the way we spend money, the way that our thought life. Like what is that deep desire that we give ourselves to? Because ultimately... An honest uh, answer in that, in that area helps us understand where have we placed high places in our lives? What are the things of, of highest value in our lives? What are the things of highest importance? And in a little while, we'll, we'll look at Israel because Israel were instructed really clearly to ta- tear down high places. And it was, directly, uh, it was directly connected to their journey with idolatry. But ultimately, in our lives, we have high places. We have things that we count as highest value, things that desires, that motivate us, drive us, and ultimately shape everything that we do, what we think about, what we spend money on, what we spend our time doing. It is the pursuit of our lives, stem from the desires of our heart. And so having a healthy audit with Holy Spirit about what's going on in here, what's going on around the desires of my heart, is a healthy process to go through. And one that we should, we, we should be encouraged by not demoralized by. But there is ultimately that that differential. It is that we either set our hearts towards the desire of hunger for God, or ultimately, on the other end, we, we actually set our desire on human happiness. Simply put, those, those, uh, there's lots of intricacies in the choices in between those things, but ultimately, that, that's where the dividing line comes. Am I, am I hungry for God? And is that the desire that I stir up, spend time on, think about, invest in? Is that the desire that I pursue? Or ultimately, do, have I boiled down the desire of my heart simply to a human happiness? How do I maintain happiness in my life and align my desires to those things which seemingly make me happy? And I guess it's so easy as we are confronted by the media, advertising, telling us all the time the things that we need to make us happy. All around us, we are, we're bombarded by voices that will help, help shape, in the very worst way, the desires of our heart. You know, all around us, there's a narrative which would tell you that it's important for you to discover what you like and what you need and what makes your, you happy and just do those things. This is the narrative of our culture. This is what we live in. And it, and, it, and it is a fertile ground for us to develop idols, to develop things other than a holy, single pursuit of Father God. You know, and, and it is. It's like with this running of the race and knowing what we're supposed to cast off, what we're supposed to get rid of. The race and the pursuit of our highest goal, our pursuit of God... It's hindered by any number of things that can literally just take us a step off track. Listen, I don't want us to be, I don't want us to be fooled by the fact that we're, we're not actively running away from God, that we can't in some way have desires that are not ultimately pure in nature, that are not ultimately aligned with our, our primary uh, created purpose, which is actually to desire to know God and to be known by him. Listen, that is one of the things I think that, that we, we fool ourselves. That, you know, we, we feel better about ourselves because we, you know, we're not actively not pursuing God. 
when actually ultimately we can have a whole raft of things that ultimately have taken the place, that sole place in our lives, whereby we could say with all confidence, I desire above all else. I desire above anything else. That my highest, greatest desire is to know and be known by God. You know, the, the opposite of that is not simply just running away from God. It is choosing anything other than him. I want to I read a, it's quite a long quote, but it, it, it's, it was helpful to me over the last couple of weeks as I was just processing this with God. And so it's long, but hopefully you can um, track with it. It's uh, um, A.W. Tozer, who's a great Christian writer, and, and I've just been uh, meditating on this, this little section of writing that he wrote. He said this, Before the Lord God made man upon the earth, he first prepared for him by creating a world of useful and pleasant things for his sustenance and delight. In Genesis' account of creation, there was, uh, they were, they, um, these are called simply things. They were made for man's use. But they were always meant to be external to the man and subservient to him. In the deep heart of the man was a shrine where no, uh, none but God was worthy to come. Within him was God, without a thousand gifts which God had showered upon him. But sin was introduced, complications, uh, sorry, but sin has introduced complications and has made those very gifts of God a potential source of ruin to the soul. Our woes began when God was forced out of this central shrine and things were allowed to enter. Within the human heart, things have taken over. Men have now by nature no peace within their hearts for God is crowned there no longer. But there in the moral dust, stubborn and aggressive usurps fight amongst themselves for first place on the throne. This is not a mere metaphor, but an accurate analysis of our real spiritual trouble. Listen, this, uh, this challenged me because I started to understand my place in humanity in the context of creation in which God gave many, many things for my benefit, for your benefit. Like, listen, this is not a, this is not a call to go lock yourself in, in a dark room so that you have no temptation to, to have a desire outside of anything that is ungodly. This is not, like, this is not, you can't bunker yourself away. God placed you, positioned you in a creation in which he gifted you and gave you things for your sustenance and for your good. The issue came is when, is when those things took a place in our hearts, took a place in and around the desires of our hearts that was always meant exclusively for God. This is what this, this um, little section just helped me realize, that, that there are many, many good things around me, and I, it's not that I, that, that I cannot and should not and never should engage with those things for my benefit, for my good. They were created in God's order for me to experience those things, right? But the reality is, is that they were never supposed to take the place of desire in my heart. That was reserved. That was set apart for one and only one person. And that is God. 
And this is just so helpful for us to understand that, that, that you know, our, our journey of, of not having idols is not a journey of, of having no likes or not enjoying anything. But it's, it's understanding in God's order where those things fit in the desires of my life. And that challenges the way that I think about the idols that I've let into my life and the desires that I've let into my life that ultimately have taken the place of the one that that desire was exclusively planned out for. This is the issue with idols. They don't come to us in the form of of shrines or statues. They come in the form of things. They come in the form of anything that I put my love and I pursue over and above that place of love and pursuit of God. Right? You know, it's not about a shrine or a wooden statue or something that we melt down in gold. This is ultimately about where I place the desire of my heart. And in that, there are many, many choices and many, many options. I found this helpful as well. Richard Keyes, who wrote some stuff on idolatry, he said this, an idol is something um, within creation that is inflated to function as God. All sorts of things are potential idols, depending only on our attitude and actions towards them. I think that's really interesting because it helps us again realize that, that things are not the problem. I potentially am the problem, right? So we can't, we can't get hung up with, with things. We have to get hung up with how are those things impacting me? What are those things doing to me? Idolatry um, may not involve explicit denials of God's existence or character. It may well come in the form of an over-attachment to something that is in itself perfectly good. An idol can be physical, an object, a property, a person, an activity, a role, an institution, a hope, an image, an idea, a pleasure, a hero, anything that can substitute for God. And this is the issue. This is what we should be paying attention to. This should enlighten our, 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 um, our awareness. And I think if we do this with Holy Spirit, he's going to lead us to those places where we've got that out of line and we've got that out of sync. You know, we get to go on a, a journey where we can say, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you know the desires of my heart? Would you test those desires? So I want them to line up with the, the very singular objective and purpose of which you gave me desire, which was to desire you. Jesus was really, really clear in this whole uh, comment on, on idols. Uh, in 1 John five twenty one. I read it from the Amplified Version because it pulls out everything we would need to know. It says this in verse 21. Little children, believers, dear ones, guard yourself against idols, false teaching, moral compasses, and anything that would take you, take God's place in your heart. Listen, so those, those idols that, that Jesus is warning us about, he's ultimately saying it's, it's anything that would take God's place in your heart. Listen, there is a, when we're considering what we're pursuing, there is a, there's a hierarchy, there's an order, there's a, an alignment for us to discover. And it starts with a foundation, foundational desire. And if we get that one out of sync, it could only be one step away from pursuing the goal, but we will not end up in that direction. It's like, it's like steering a ship. You know how they always say that if you, if you, if you um, change the uh, trajectory of a ship by a single degree and then you carry that, 
journey on for many, many hours, you will be miles and miles away from your intended destination. And it's the same with recognizing the desires of our heart. It does not need to be that we're pursuing anything other than God, but it could be we could be pursuing God in rhetoric, in passion, in worship, in our devotional life, in our prayer life. But ultimately, if at the seat of our desires there is a one degree out, then we'll find ourselves pursuing a very different goal. And ultimately, we have to realize that that, like I've said already, that, that idols are it's counterfeit. It's so far less of value to what we really get to take hold of. An idol, it, it is a counterfeit relationship with something or somebody that was reserved solely and exclusively for you and Father God. It's a counterfeit relationship. It's a counterfeit dependence. It's a counterfeit um, encouragement. It's a counterfeit excitement around a desire that ultimately was designed for you to experience in your relationship with God. And it's so funny what we, it's so funny what we often, <clears throat> what we find such temporal satisfaction from in life. It's so far less, it's so counterfeit to the reality of walking in step with God. You know, it is like trying to think that McDonald's McFlurries will be like a stable, sustaining part of my diet. It's not. It's just not good for you. C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, it would seem our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like there's a choice. We've got options. Like an ignorant child who wants to go and go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it's meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We're far too easily pleased. You know, it's a helpful picture, but it, it's true. There are things that we've aligned our desires to that are like, that are like building mud sandcastles when actually we're invited to go to the seaside where we can build the real thing, where we can have the authentic real thing. And yet we somehow become placated to and we become inoculated to something far less of value. So I think part of, part of this addressing what it is that we're pursuing and where that stems from the desires that go on internally is, is ultimately for us to know, well, how do we deal with the counterfeit? How do we become aware of, of where there is counterfeit desires that we've given our hearts to? What do, we, what do we do with those things? How do we realign? How do we stay on track? The, um, this is where... I found it really helpful as I dug into the Old Testament and just looking at the, uh, the story of God's interaction with the nation of Israel and how he was pretty ruthless with them when it came to uh, their assimilation into the culture. Because that's where the rubber hit the road for Israel. Listen, God um, told them really, really clearly to tear down high places. Um, even, before, um, even before Israel got into their promised land, um, in 1 Kings 14.23, it says this. Um, no, I'm sorry. Uh, in Numbers 33, it says this. Um, that Moses told the Jews to demolish all the high places 
because they would, uh, they would become a prick in your eyes and thorns in your side. So this was the awareness that um, Israel very quickly came to realize that in their covenant relationship with God, in this relationship that was fueled by a desire to know God and to be known by him, covenant relationship, there is a responsibility for them to keep central that covenant relationship, keep central that desire for God. This is what Israel had to discover through the high times and the bad. And the Old Testament is full of situations describing Israel's struggle um, with uh, other gods, their neighboring gods. You know, for, for, uh, for Israel, when they, when, they were, um, when they were confronted by other nations and the way in which another, other nations in their society were set up, they were all set up around worship of other gods. And they were so much so that they would literally build altars in the highest places to these other gods. And Israel was, was called to be a holy nation. And it's really interesting, this, this word holy, because it literally means set apart, different. But the greatest struggle that Israel had was is that they weren't different. They just blended in. And that starting point for them just blending in was that they, they weren't anchored to a dedicated desire to be exclusively connected to God. And so then when they interacted with other nations and other nations had different gods and they were worshipping uh, worshiping gods of harvest and, and fertility and all these other things, they just became like the other nations. They just blended in. And listen, as I reflect that onto our situation, listen, we, we're not... We're not going to walk out of this room and find ourselves coerced by culture to go to a high place and worship at a physical altar. Like, that's not the struggle we have, right? Well, maybe you do, I don't know. I've never, no one's ever tried to assimilate me into modern day culture by telling me I needed to go to Rivington Pike and sacrifice something. Like, that just hasn't happened. But, but the, the level of pressure that our culture has around idolatry and how that influences my life, I think is just as critical as it was for Israel. You know, if we are going to be like Israel, holy, set apart, different, I think our starting point for that is, ultimately, am I going to give myself to the desires of culture, or am I going to give myself to the desire of one? Like, this is the choice we have. And this ultimately is what sets us apart. This is what was to set Israel apart. This is to what to set us apart. Am I giving myself to the cultural desires and ultimately assign idols in my life to all sorts of things? Or am I dedicated and assigned to one? Am I in covenant relationship with one? And Israel found that. They just blended in. The very thing that should have defined them as individuals and as a nation got lost because they pursued every other thing. Every other thing that, that seemed to in a moment and temporarily give them happiness and give them position and connection to culture. But the process is the same, same for us. It might not be a physical temple or a shrine or a gold idol that we carry around, but we, we create high places in our lives. And all that simply is, is things of highest value to us. If you could look at it like that, you could say, well, what are my high places and how do I pull those high places down? 
You know, the same instruction was given to Israel, it's given to us. Go and, and pull down those high places. What are our high places? What are the things of highest value to us that really sit outside of the greatest highest value, which is our pursuit of God? And you might say, well, it's easy to look at other people or look at culture and say, well, I'm not like that. But we live in a culture that, that, that explores and expresses idolatry in very, very different ways. John Calvin said that the human heart is now the factory of idols. And he's right. It doesn't happen necessarily externally. It starts with a seed of desire which absolutely starts in my heart. So I want to, I want to, you know, one of the things I thought was, well, can I give you a whole list of practical examples of things that you would say, well, these are all things that you maybe just need to keep a watchful eye over. But I think rather than specifics, it's sometimes helpful to ask ourselves in partnership with Holy Spirit some questions around our own lives and hearts such that actually we can go on a journey with him so that actually he can reflect those things which need to be cast off things that we need to get rid of, things that we need to deal with, so that ultimately we can realign the desires of our heart with the desire of God. So I want to ask you these questions. In discovering the high places in our lives, what about these questions? Are you self-sufficient? In other words, is, there, is the high place in your life you? Because ultimately you're, you're able to get on by yourself pretty well. Are you pretty self-sufficient? Secondly, well, maybe asking the questions, what do you crave? What do you find satisfaction in? And again, these, these are questions to, to then land you in not appreciating the good things that are around you, but it's helping you identify these good things are just things, but they are not to become desires. Thirdly, what do you find yourself constantly thinking about? You know, reflection into the desires of our heart often starts with, where does this spend most of its time? What gets your attention? What gets you excited? What do you spend most of your time talking about? Again, it's just a reflection of the internal desires that are going on as it comes out in, in what you think on and what you talk about. What do you spend a lot of your time doing? What addictions, or maybe if it's, Addictions is too heavy a word for you. What are the habits that you have? What or whom do you rely on? What are you fearful of? This is a unique one in this whole understanding that there are idols. We can have an idol of fear. The very things that we fear can, be, can so overwhelm us that they, be, they take a central part in, what we, in, 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 in our lives. It might not necessarily express like we don't desire the thing that we fear, but it entirely, it entirely takes over. Our focus, our attention, our feelings, we're driven by the thing that we fear. So what is it that we're maybe fearful of that has become an idol, become something that we build our decision-making around because of fear? Who do you dream about? You know, what or who we worship will dictate what or who we pursue. And that shows up in ultimately what or who we're hungry for. What we hunger and pursue after. 
I want to leave you, um, Sarah's going to come up in a second, we, we want to pray together, but I was really struck, I went back to, to reading the, the story which everyone's probably familiar with of, of, of Israel, when, um, um, when Moses goes up and, he, uh, and he's with God and he's getting the commandments and the nation of Israel waiting at the bottom of the mountain and they're getting bored, the, Moses has been gone, there's not a lot for them to do. And, and very quickly in their boredom and their, and their disconnection with their leader who had always pointed them towards the God who is part of their story and history, in his absence they began to uh, want for other things. And we know the story. And uh, they got together and in their grumbling they gathered together all the gold earrings, they melted them down and created a gold calf. You know, it's the ultimate picture of, of idolatry and they bowed down and worshipped this gold calf. Moses comes down the Moses comes down the mountain and he obviously is in shock and disarray, but he says a really important thing. And um I think this important thing is the is the dividing line for us in this whole area of of idolatry. Whatever it is that we've placed um something or someone or something in in the place of where God rightfully is, is Moses said this when he was confronted by the gold calf, when he was confronted by by um, Israel's blatant idolatry. He simply said this. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and he said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And interestingly, straight after that it says, and all the Levites rallied to him. Now the interesting thing about the Levites is this was the, this was the tribe known for its worship. They were the worshippers. They knew uh, and, and led worship in Israel. That was what defined the Levitical priesthood was that they were, they were the worshippers. And so the first ones to respond to that line drawn in the sand when Moses came and said, whoever is for the Lord... Listen, this is, the, this is ultimately the, the, the choice that we get to speak to the desires of our hearts. Are the desires of our hearts, are they going to be defined by, I am for the Lord in that area? Like, this is what marks me. I am for the Lord. Is my response to whatever, whatever thing I have placed in place of the one who is always supposed to be there, is my response, I am for the Lord? And I think that image really of, of the response of the worshippers, and I feel like that's a key for us. There's a key in the way that we approach worship, and I'm not simply just talking about the 45 minutes that we give on a Sunday. I'm talking about the position of your heart of worship towards the Lord, which is a daily, moment-by-moment choice to, to extol, to worship, to praise, to give adoration, to place on the throne of our lives who is rightfully to be enthroned. And it is God. He's the only person to be placed in that position in our hearts. And, the, and cultivating worship, just like the Levites knew, they were the ones that rallied. They were the ones that knew. We've got a decision to make. Do we choose idolatry or do we, do we say no? We are ones who are for the Lord. And I want to invite Sarah to come. We just want to um, pray as a community. Wouldn't you stand with me and then... Um, you know, we can absolutely respond to these things in, in worship. But I think there's a, there's a measure in this moment to respond um, with repentance. And um, there's, a, 
there's a moment that we get to do business with God, not because a message was preached, but because we say, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you come into those places of my desire and would you illuminate, would you shine light into those areas so that I can realign, so that I can set back in place the rightful place of the desire for God where I've maybe placed other things. I feel like there's, there's, there's the response in a moment and then there's a, there's a shift in, in weeks and months that follow. And, but we really wanted to make sure there was time and space to actually do business with God here and now. You know, we don't just get to say, God, I'm sorry for my sins when we become a Christian. Like, actually, confession and repentance is part of our Christian walk. It really must be. And it's never anything to be fearful about um, because we are in a kingdom where there is no condemnation. So I want to say that first and foremost. There's no condemnation. Um, and actually, asking Holy Spirit to kind of show me, show me anything, anyone um, that is in any way trying to take the position that Jesus should have. Actually, there should be no anxiety over that because in his kindness, he leads us to repentance. So actually, if Holy Spirit is kind of just showing you things, highlighting things, it's just because he's kind. But listen, the wise thing for us to do is to not run away, is to actually press in and say, right, I'm going to do business. Confession means saying, yeah, I own it. Yes, God, I did that. I am doing that. I am struggling with that. Repentance means choosing to turn away and walk in another direction. Um, and I want us to take time to do that, to confess and repent. Not out loud, no, but, like just, but you'd have time to do business with the Lord this morning. But the other thing in, is where Israel so often, they'd kind of, they'd turn away from God and then something would happen and they'd be like, oh, we're sorry, it's only you. But so often, if you read through the, the kings and the, who come through Israel and Judah, is so many of them, they didn't remove the high places. So listen, it's not good enough to say, Jesus, I'm really sorry, yeah, I did that, I repent, and leave that as a high place there because it's so easy for us to get distracted and to go back to it. So I, I want for you to really ask as well, just through weeks and months from here, God, what does it mean to take down those high places? I want to confess. I want to repent. I want to say, I am wholeheartedly for you again, Jesus, in, the, in a moment this morning. But then actually, what does that look like to take down? What Practically, what does that look like? And listen, folks, I'm not convinced doing that on our own is always the best idea. It's really good. James says, confess your sins one to another that you'd be healed. Sometimes getting really free, really being able to take down high places and walk in fullness. It's good to have someone else. I don't mean just chat over coffee. What are you repenting of this week? That would be weird. But actually, someone who knows you, you know that you, they know, you know they love you and you trust them. Say, hey, do you know what? God's really shown me this is a, this is a high place in my life. This is something I want to work on. And let's champion one another and walk with one another. So why don't we just take some time to pray this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence. We say above anything and anyone else, we want you. And I thank you, God, for your unbelievable kindness and faithfulness to us. And I just declare that this is a place where there is no condemnation. We live in a kingdom of grace, that grace that restores us and resets the standard, repositions us with Father God, but grace that teaches us then self-control and to say no to all unrighteousness. So would you release your grace and in your kindness, God, lead us to repentance. Show me, Holy Spirit, the things that are high places. Show me where you're not fully on the throne. Other things, other people are taking that place and lead us into repentance, Holy Spirit. We want to be like those Levites. We want to be a people who say, we are for the Lord wholeheartedly. Jesus, that there is no one above you. There's no one beside you. There's no one like you. And God, we want to commit um, just to walk into that more freely. So come and show us those things, God. Come and lead us to own them, confess them, repent them. And then, God, give us 
really clear strategy. Show us what does it look like practically to take down those high places, to get free and get really free, to get free and stay free. Nothing held back. But Jesus, it starts with that declaration that there is no one like you, no one beside you. We position you as a, as a king. Jesus, I position you as king on the throne of my life and anything that's taken that place, we just want to remove that and say, Jesus, it's you and only you and for you. I just want to encourage you, just take some time with the Lord. Just do business with him. You don't have to run away. And one of the things that Moses said to the Israelites is, you know, listen, if you hear the Lord, don't be like they were back in the day and harden your heart. Just, just run towards him. 